Hello, this is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I am Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen, joined as always with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And with our special guest for this week, Simon Fisher-Becker. Hello. So, t- today we'll be looking at minutes 48 and 49 of About mm. Time, and it's just a continuation of Tim going to Mary's house, and we open with her line about her pyjamas. And she says, you can come in and take them off if you want to. And Tim says, one minute. Hang on, now we've got more, have we? No, he just says one minute, because she says, That's yeah. A- it's because so often he says one minute and it goes back in time. Well, yeah. I like that, actually, because this is her writing the next moment when usually he's rewriting like a past one. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's a nice sort of rhyme with what he does. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> so considering our comments that we've made before, Robert, about Tim's pyjamas. Hers a, are the same. It's a nice touch <laughs> that she's got the same pyjamas. Yeah. Yes. It's great. And and it gets me started on her bedroom, which is so a weird mix of every pattern ever. There are stripes it, it, and yeah. checks and flowers, different flowers, different checks. It's such it's a chaos. small space as well. Yeah. Goodness me. I'm like, there's something wrong with Mary. That's when I look <laughs> at this room. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that should be the the, the title for this one. Because you came so close to being a Farrelly Brothers movie. Yeah. <laughs> so Tim looks at his watch and we go straight into him. Yeah, him, him sort of slowly sneaking into the room almost. Yeah. Which is, is quite nice. And yeah, her, her room is an absolute mess. <laughs> yeah, as you said, I hadn't really looked at it, but... Yeah, and so the fact that it's a set as well, you know, that it isn't just that they... Like with the other scenes where they will go into a house, I guess this means obviously everything has been... Yeah. specifically designed for her and character. And you have all the ways they've made him blend in with backgrounds at his house. Now she's just, like, clashing with things. <laughs> she's the she's a weird counterpoint to him, visually. Hmm. And I feel like, yeah, somehow that makes them work really well together, doesn't it? The whole opposite yeah. track thing, maybe. That, yeah. So Tim comes in, Mary says hi, and Tim stumbles over... Um, I got to my her notes shoes. to find what it is. Of her shoes. There we go. And yeah, I mean, it, it is brilliant. All these, all these little details obviously come back in upcoming yes. minutes. And I think this whole sequence really, it's quite weird because, I mean, obviously you don't know this, Simon, having not seen the rest of the film. Right. But yeah, so this is the first time Mary has met Tim, this meeting and this thing. But Tim has met Mary twice in the past right. and erased those moments. So I think it is quite, interesting that if we ignore the other times tim has met mary and only see what mary knows as the present Mm. they don't know that much about each other at this point which i think is quite i mean i i'm trying to think romantic comedies i feel like there's normally more before you get to the sex scene i'm not certain but i mean it's a No, it's very, it's very interesting. I mean, 
going back to a discussion in the previous uh, episode about the attitudes and uh, of younger generations, where I what I have noticed is there's a lot more uh, heartache because sometimes just going to the cinema together on one date, you then find they're putting up on Facebook in a relationship. Yeah. You see? Yeah. And, you know, my grandparents used to step out, was the phrase, you know, <laughs> or courting, just to make yeah, it, uh, to make it a, a little more old fashioned. And then you've got the angst that uh, one of them just thought they were going to the cinema. And the other one's thinking, oh, no, this is uh, far more serious. And so one will then send a text message and don't and doesn't get a response. Complete nightmare. (laughs) So and I thought there was some in this scene and the previous scene uh, making the first move was by the girl. Yeah, technically, which even now I find interesting. Because I think in my maybe day, it was always thought the guy had to make the first move. Right. Yeah. So I uh, think maybe it instantly gets out because of this is this is going really deep because of the stereotypes with stuff like that and the fear for it to come across as almost, you know, abusive or false. Yes. I think maybe because it's assumed whether this is right or wrong is another conversation. It's assumed that, you know, forced sex is man onto woman that it's probably safer on the writer's part to have the woman initiate it first oh I mean, that I, is a, a very broad discussion yeah. uh, I mean you can go back to stuff like The Graduate and see yes. that, that you know obviously it's not always like that but oh. yeah, I, I, think I think in context we need it here for this film as well because if we are feeling bad about him manipulating time to meet her this third time yeah. it's good that she wants she invited him to her place. Yes. She's inviting him. She invites him into her bedroom. Yeah. So, yes. It makes it okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was a point I was going to have. Oh, yeah. What you said before, Simon, about like, yeah, about going to the cinema coming offers in a relationship. I'm half expecting some of my friends to somehow have formed relationships over lockdown, to be honest. Yes. <laughs> you know, have been, been texting and video calling and then they're dating and then I'll be the emotional support to help him pick up the pieces when <laughs> a week into it, it all falls apart. Because uh, what I feel very sorry for those is all all the lovey-dovey things, oh, I can't live without you, yeah, where was my life before I met you, blah, blah, blah. And then three weeks later, oh, my heart is broken, I can't live without you, it's uh, uh, what went wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I say to some of these people, why do you put it on Facebook? <laughs> why why do you just do uh, and and then I get the slap in the face because well it, 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 I'm always, I'm either told I'm too old or or the phrase is you don't understand this is how it works nowadays and I said well it clearly isn't working well is it I <laughs> 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 I I feel like the outsider in my generation that yeah like I I mean, I'm not someone who's even, like, been in any relationship, be it go out to the cinema with anyone or anything like that, in that way, which is, you know, play, play the violin music here. But I, I think, I think, yeah, I, I, I tend to look at things as sort of 
it, yeah, it's not a relationship to it's a lot more serious. And I think I, I'm one of the few people who, who sort of looks into everything very seriously and wouldn't consider being a relationship with someone that, you know, I wouldn't, I couldn't see lasting anyway. Um, surely you've got to have more than one date. Yeah. For it to become a relationship. Cause you have step, wasn't it? It was stepping out. And then when you became fiancés, you were courting. I think that's how it worked. Okay. These, these, are, these are terms I heard, but terms that are before my time. So <laughs> I'm going to give it a Google to verify your points. Do you mean you don't believe And prove me? your need for immediate information. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know how serious these conversations have gone. It's good. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think it was a sip. I thought it was well, rather joyous. No, nice. No, I, yeah. I mean my, yeah. my conversation about, about yeah. forcing it and the graduate and other things which I'm mm. not really in a place to have an opinion about. Yeah. But I think this whole show is about not being in a place to have an opinion about things, really, considering we're looking deep into a film that we have nothing to do with. I think it's cool. Yeah, so she's in... Well, Robert, you're you're the one to talk about visuals. We, I think it's basically visuals from this point onwards. Yeah, most of it. It's I, it's it's nice too because first version of it takes its time, as he he yeah. stumbles, he ends up on the bed next to her, and like even then they're sitting there for a second before they kiss, and then a few more seconds before they start removing clothing, and by the time he has trouble with her bra and she has to correct him, it's like it's it's cute. They're almost like teenagers that are like yeah. expecting something amazing to happen, and it's just awkward and weird, and it's great. Mm. I I do like the whole bra fumbling thing and how that that comes back later on. Yes, which we've got in the next minute. I mean, do we go straight on to the next minute, or is there stuff to say about this one? Because once again, it's one which carries on quite well yeah, into it, the next minute. Yeah, just I'd say just go on. Okay, we'll go go straight on. And yeah, I mean, so so part of me finds it kind of funny that your first experience with this film is the sex scene. Well, it's not <laughs> really even a sex scene; it's like a pre and post sex scene because. Yeah. It's a 12-rated movie, or R in the States, because of one brief topless picture of Kate Moss in the background yeah. and a couple of F-words. Yeah. Yeah. I always find it funny how prudish Americans can be mm-hmm. when, when you think America is the, is the centre of the porn industry. Yeah. Anyway. We love being contradictory. <laughs> that's, that's why, I mean, we've talked a lot about age ratings because it's a weird fascination of mine. But yeah, I mean, that's why I find it interesting that whereas the the MPAA are more box ticking as to you say the F word more than twice, you got yourself an R. We kind of go, okay, they've said it, I think, eight times in this film, maybe six, something mm. like that. Mm. And it's like, okay, let's look at the context. Let's see what that means. What Look at every case individually, which I think is so much better. Yeah. Because it, it does just seem stupid that a film like this, I mean, I know your your whole certificate situation is different anyway, and you could go with an adult when you're you know, when you're under yeah. 17. But yeah, the idea that this is essentially stopping people who are like, you know, 13, 14 from going out and seeing this film. It's like, because this movie is wholesome, you know? Yeah, it's got, it's got quite a sweet message. It's, uh-huh. I mean, I, I'd go as far as to say it's a family film. Yeah. I'd, I'd sit and watch it with my family. Um, I have done. I, I shared it at a community cinema full of elderly people and they also really enjoyed it. So that was good. Hence, it kind of annoys me that in the trailer, both trailers, you've actually got the Kate Moss picture in the background and the sex scene jokes. Where it's like, if I'm trying to show this film to someone, it makes it come across as 
I wouldn't say particularly crude, but it makes it come across as almost slightly saucier of a film than it is. Yeah. Yes. Which possibly makes it lose its audience a bit. Yeah, I, I would, I would uh, agree with that. But maybe they put that trailer together once it got an R rating in the U.S. and they knew we have an adult audience to cater to. Let's do that. It is very interesting, particularly here in the U.K. Uh, there is this uh, sort of political correctness about certain things. But I've done a couple of stage productions, plays, one of which uh, was about Tchaikovsky. Mm. Uh, I played the head of the conservatoire where Tchaikovsky attended. But the poster was a picture of Tchaikovsky, and standing in front of him was a naked boy with a towel flung over his shoulder. So what you saw is just his bottom. He's facing Tchaikovsky, as I said. And uh, we sold out. It was very nice. But then there wasn't a scene with any naked person at all in the production. And we did have people wanting their money back. Wow. So, <laughs> and when did I do that? That would have been the late 80s. So so b- before there would have been controversy yeah. around the young boy, I guess. Well, there we had, because around that time, uh, 70s and 80s, I think it was, we had a person called Mary Whitehouse. Oh, yeah. Who became a big campaigner about the filth we see on the television. There's a famous good um, documentary of her where she's absolutely, I turned on the television and there was nothing but filth. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've only read a couple of bits about her version of filth. Is nothing like we get to see today. <laughs> I find that quite often where I'm sitting and watching stuff with my parents. And, and it's like, oh, no, that was really horrible back in our day. And they'll watch it and they'll be like, OK, that was it. <laughs> you know, it's... Well, I didn't ever did it again. <laughs> oh, you're so much younger than me. But there will be some people. There was a commercial for some, I think it was some washing up powder. You know, washing when you do your wash. And these kids are complaining about how quickly their clothes get dirty. And <laughs> it's just the way the the mother says, oh, well, when I was your age, we didn't wear any clothes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, giving reference to Woodstock and the like, is it? Yeah. Uh, so it is interesting how uh, how things change. Hmm. And I think, yeah, I think it is quite interesting, yeah, when you look at, like the, the the freedom of the sixties compared to how censored everything had to be in the seventies and eighties. Like it is, it is an interesting thing which I'm I'm reading a lot onto. Like I mean, I I love reading about when I hear a film is controversial. I find that fascinating because so much of the time, yeah, you look at it now and go, okay, really? Yes, yeah. I think I, I, sometimes I do ask, is it necessary to have have some sort of scene but uh, but particularly with historical things nakedness was not frowned upon right you know and even uh, attitudes towards homosexuality were different in more when we go back hundreds and hundreds of years so so there is that aspect here so i can understand something set in ancient rome you will see more flesh yeah but then there are other times i like a film and i think 
you've just put this in just for a bit of titillation. There is no reason for it at all. Uh, and, uh, and then that I do find debasing. But, uh, but there we go. But I also put my hands up when there's the, the, an announcement and it says this film will contain, you know, a, a bad language, uh, uh, what's it? Bad language, um, adult situation. Yeah. And yes. And yes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, scenes of a, of an adult nature. Yeah. Then I'm sitting there thinking, Excellent. Right. <laughs> Where's the cup of tea? <laughs> it, it, it is. It is quite interesting, especially on like, yeah. On, I mean, I'm watching a lot of stuff on BBC iPlayer at the moment. Yes. And part of it even seems like because obviously they have to warn you. Part of it seems almost spoilery. You know, you're watching a show and then you go to this episode. This show, this episode contains scenes of a sexual nature, and it's like, okay, well, thanks for spoiling that. You know, it could it could have been a considerable plot point. You know that these. I, I get obviously why they have to warn that 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 stuff and. I mean, it's it's odd because things could be spot. BBC iPlayer is a weird thing anyway. Yes. Because the only certificate they've got is 16. Right. So things that would be rated 18 that air on the BBC, you go on iPlayer and ask you, are you 16 or older? Oh, and all you have to do is click a button. Yeah. So an eight-year-old could click, who can read could yeah. click that click that button. And as far as I'm aware, it doesn't block it when you're under that age. Like yeah. I, I had an account when I was like. 13 or something and it just changed from are you age 16 or over to do you have permission guide and it's i mean i don't know whether you can set up passwords or whatever because i was i was the goody two shows who went off and got permission or (laughs) didn't and then didn't watch it but yeah it's intriguing and yeah the whole the whole censorship period is is fascinating really to to look at different things and now it's so rare that a film gets Banned or controversial? Uh, I, I, I'm very uncomfortable with any form of censorship, really. I think it's parental control. There are those who say, well, some parents aren't good controllers, but then, but then that means, that means one set of people is setting a moral standard for other sets of people. And that's questionable. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it should be. A whole immoral <laughs> society, but I, I do think some controls are unnecessary. Yeah, no, I definitely see that. And there needs to be a, I mean, it, it, it's enough to say these things, and obviously it's not looking it into it in, in a general way, but I mean, even, even down to YouTube, like, the parental controls on that are awful. Like, it blocks so many videos that are fine, and keeps videos that aren't, and it's like, because for a while I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be safe on YouTube and block inappropriate content. And then I couldn't even watch my own videos. Yes. <laughs> it was stupid. Yes. And it, I, you, know, you can't check the comments. You can't do half of these things. And I get why, but, and I know they've got like YouTube kids and stuff like that now. But I feel like it, it would be nice if somehow there could be more layers to content. Because I think, I mean, YouTube's fine for the most part, but I think rather than just the is it safe for kids, is it not safe for kids as the two options... You know, maybe if you could sort of fit in your target audience, because I'd imagine, for the most part, obviously not entirely, if people are putting adult content on there, they're often willing to say it's adult content. Yes. Yeah. You know, I don't think many people are going out of their way going, okay, we're going to put porn on YouTube and make it appropriate, make it so kids can watch it, because, you know, it's just, it's not the way that most people are. An issue I had with um, uh, Facebook, actually, 
some years ago, there were I was being trolled, and so I thought the way I'd uh, uh, stand up to it is I would name them, because although their Facebook name, it was different from who I knew they were. So I so I just said I just typed up something and said you know I know who you are, Fred Blogs, you see, and it got removed. Uh, so the aggressor can say horrible things, but I can't name the aggressor. I watch a lot of scam baiting videos and stuff on YouTube because I just mm. find it fascinating. Yes. And when they track down, like, you know, call center scammers or stuff like that and have their names and their pictures, yeah, YouTube makes them blur it out and censor it. Yeah. But they, I mean, these, these channels tend to get past it and say, visit my website, you know, to find out who yeah. they are. But it is kind of like, you know, these are people who are criminals. Yes. And you're, and you're not allowed to show their face without their permission. I know. There we go. La di da. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't think we'd be having this conversation. It's great. <laughs> so, yeah. We go into minute 49. She says it's a front opener. Tim says it's a what? It opens from the front. Yeah, no, yeah, of course. Thanks. Yes. Mary, sure. Oh, well done. I, 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 I do like that, that little congratulation. <laughs> Yeah, and then we flash to them lying on the bed, shot from above, wherein yes. Richard Curtis said it was one of the, the few times where he was so certain he wanted that shot that he didn't go for any other shot or any other angle. I thought it was excellent, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, uh, and it says everything, without being too gratuitous. Yeah, the three yeah. versions yeah. of this are so much better than if we watched them have yeah. sex. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, yeah, even to the extent of them not showing any nudity, even to the kind of mo- I mean, it, it, it does feel to me sometimes that the way that Rachel McAdams moves is almost like she's being careful not to. I don't yes. know if you you got that. It seems very oh, much yeah. like, stay within this And the camera's behind boundary. her, just to yeah. make sure. Yeah, but, yeah I, think it's, I think it's nicer. It's It makes it more awkward at first, which is obviously what they want. And yeah, it, there's something more sweet about not showing it. It would have got so gratuitous if they had shown it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look to Richard Curtis films, the only sex scene I can think of, I could be completely wrong. I mean, you've got the tall guy, but that was so early on in this career that I'm not even counting that. <laughs> is that one's you a go little gratuitous, to... though. Yeah, but it's gratuitous with the point of gratuitous, obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, even the stuff he's directed, Love Actually, and that is, you know, the the sex scene stand-ins. Oh, yeah. You know, doing, doing that. And, and obviously the point of that is that it's, <laughs> over the top and that's that's the gag so I think I think Richard Curtis almost as a way to make keep us I mean it can be done right but to keep us invested in their romance sort of I think not showing the sex scene makes it better because you're seeing them as people not as sexual objects yeah absolutely I absolutely agree uh, it, it was just a lovely shot as well yeah I mean to, to to drop comparing this to comparing Lethal Weapon as a film you, yeah. The first three characters you meet in Lethal Weapon are not clothed. <laughs> right. Which, I mean, that, I mean, I, the thing about Lethal Weapon is that is how you open an adult movie. A topless yeah. woman wakes up, snorts cocaine, and throws herself out of the window. <laughs> there is no other way. Well, to that's going to grab this your is attention, a isn't film. it? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's been looked at in a lot of like screenwriting classes as that's how you start a movie. And that is a, a classic violent start, isn't it? Because yep. uh, that's what comes back to me about certain projects I've written. Where's the violence? <laughs> and I think, oh. So some some things that uh, I've written, I've had to p- 
putting things which I didn't think of, and that seems to then take things to a to a, a slightly different level. Yeah, it changes it. It's it's strange, and yet people say, "Oh, we can't have sex and violence on telly," and then the first thing you're told, "Where's the sex and violence?" <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm noticing that. Like, even just when I'm planning the thing, the series I'm writing at the moment. Yes. Which I mean, I might as well tell you. I'll I'll, I'll cut this out. Basically. And I don't want there to be, like, sex scenes or stuff like that. Like, I want it to approach things when it needs to, but I don't really want... I don't see it necessary. But, yeah, even I was talking with that, with, like, with someone I'm co-writing it with, he was straight up to say, like, yeah, but you're going to really struggle to pitch it if you haven't got any sex or violence. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 that's something I've come across. I mean, I don't mind putting it in if that's what they want, but to me... Having a couple go into a room, turn and face each other, and then maybe embrace and kiss, and then the door closes. Yeah. yeah. That, although that might be called uh, a bit cliched, it say, says it all. I think we should bring back the cliche of shots on the beach. <laughs> all, of, all of that, which was possibly ruined by the naked gun. But, yeah. I mean, I think it's about time to bring that back, and I'd love to play up to that in something writing at some point. But, I mean... On a slight tangent here, but that's the point of a podcast. As a Christian, like, I watch a lot of Christian movies, and the opposite problem is there for me, that they don't acknowledge sex, violence, and bad language, and thus it feels like an idealistic world. And I think my my aim in life as a filmmaker and as a Christian is to make a Christian film that actually acknowledges this is what the world is like in order to tell the story first. The best one I can think of is Machine Gun Preacher, and I don't even know if that really counts. I don't know it. So it's a, it's a good film with Gerard Butler. I wouldn't even say it's really a Christian film. It just a, happens to involve... You made me like, think of the uh, Kirk Cameron movie, Fireproof. I still which, haven't seen that. Which but he was so adamant about his Christian beliefs that he wouldn't even kiss the actress playing his wife in the film. And so they come across like they have no chemistry because they don't interact physically. Oh, yeah. It's like they don't seem like a real husband and wife at all. Yeah, that's... That's weird and yes, I mean, I always look at Christian films in the idea of how would an atheist or agnostic person view this film i i i I will often watch a film and say, okay, so if someone who wasn't of faith was seeing this, say say a Christian wanted to you know convert their friend to Christianity and show them this film, would it hinder their faith or would it help it and right. most of the time it would hinder it most of the time, look at stuff like God's not dead, you know they go atheists are bad people and evil and all that's wrong in the world because when you're trying to persuade someone to go your way by showing them that everything <laughs> they do is wrong and evil is of course the perfect place to start you know yeah. it's so yeah. i do i do I, I find some attitudes are very interesting um i think some people who are a bit uptight about any suggestion of sex and the ones that are really uptight is that they find the sex uh, the the suggestion of sex in anything. Yeah, I uh, noticed that. Uh, and then I think to myself, and to be honest, I've said to one or two of them, how did you get here? <laughs> how did you get here? Then they look at me. I said, well, your parents must have had sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless they found you under a bush. But uh, it's very strange. It's very strange. Yeah. But... It's so it's so very difficult, isn't it? Because we we work in an art environment, and art is subjective, isn't it? 
you know, the sort of things that you like are probably, some of them are very different from what I like, and others are very different from what Robert might like. Mm -hmm. So to sit here and say, oh, this is bad, that is good, uh, is really... Uh, there is, uh, you're probably too young to remember Barry Norman. Alan. I know of but him. Barry Norman was a film critic and here in the UK we had a series called Film followed by the year. Film 73s, Film 84, Film 99. And he used to front it and, and he used to give his review and then he'd follow up his review bit. But what do I know? <laughs> you know. Exactly. He accepted that he was just giving his opinion because he was asked and paid to. Yeah, on on a different like idea. I've been I've been even meaning to write an essay about this at some point, possibly in a couple of months when essay isn't associated so much with school. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean I've been I've been meaning to write an essay about the fact that some of like films with such like sexual themes and different stuff has allowed me to realise my own views and values and to have conversations with my parents that I might not otherwise have. You know, yeah. in watching these stuff, these aren't conversations I'd normally have about, oh, you know, do you really think that's ideal for this, for that relationship? And how do you think that's... It? So, uh, so sometimes it's completely unnecessary. Sometimes it's completely worthwhile. And yeah. I mean, I, I would love to write, you know, an essay to an extent. It'd possibly be very weird. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's a thing which people don't really talk about, the idea that maybe seeing some of these things that many people view as wrong in the world is actually a chance to talk about it. And I think, uh, in all seriousness, as long as people like we are now, uh, having a sensible conversation, it's fine. It's when, for whatever reason, somebody disagrees with your view and then hits you over the head with a flower pot. You know, that's the... Uh, that's <laughs> that's the difficulty about the it. The Twitter version of this conversation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah, so we got we got the shot of them in bed, and yeah. he says, "I'm sure we better bet next time." She says, "Oh, I thought it was pretty lovely." Right? No, it was pretty lovely. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, once again, I'm not in really a position to to express an opinion on this, but "lovely"s not. Yeah, the "lovely"s a very awkward word, isn't it? In this yeah. occasion. Yes, I, I did. Or at least the way she says it. Yes, it was. Uh... You couldn't work out she, whether she was trying to let him down gently. Right. Or whether that was just the term she could think of, you know, and that it really was lovely. <laughs> Rather than saying, right, that was real cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so he says, in fact, could you just give me a minute? Yes. <laughs> and he, he scrambles out of the bed. We get the sound effect, which is often a sound effect we'd hear when we actually see him go into the cupboard and yes. flashback. But obviously it's so known to the viewers when yes. they see the whole film that that's what he's doing, that we don't need to see him do it every time. I guess as much as the TARDIS noise, really, yes. you know, you know, you know what's going on. You don't always need to see it appearing and disappearing to yes. know that's what's happening. And incidentally, and we've talked about this before, obviously Richard Curtis has written time travel before with Blackadder and Doctor Who. Yes. I mean, his one episode of Doctor Who is incredible. It was only a couple of episodes before your one, wasn't it? Your first appearance. Yes, I think it was, yes. Yeah. Uh, some very good writers for Doctor Who. I, I know some people criticise some writers, but for the series I was in, I thought it was excellent. I, I really liked those, because you were series five and 
Five seven, and, were you? Five and six. Five and six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, oh, yeah, it was six. Yeah, I always get the, six. The, Pandora, seven, the Pandorica opens, The Good Man Goes to War and The Wedding of River Song. Plus, I did a prequel on YouTube for A uh, Good Man Goes to War. And for some reason, uh, IMDB counts that as a fourth episode. Yeah. Which I'm quite grateful for, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks... <laughs> Looks good on your your credits, and actually we haven't talked about it because it's such a brief thing. But you're in Master of the House in Lame Is as well. Oh yes, yeah, I'll get around. But that's that's a. a he was great when I spotted you because I do, I do quite like the fact that you know you're. And it, it adds so much life to it because obviously you're just you're there just enjoying the pub. <laughs> yes, it was uh, it was an extraordinary. Nina Gold, uh, casting director, contacted my agent to say. Uh, that they were looking for actors who can't sing or dance. So she thought of me. <laughs> Cheeky mare. And uh, so I had to go along and prove I couldn't sing or dance. What it was, um, at the time with the castings, they didn't want anyone who'd actually been in a professional production. Uh, right. They just, and in other words, they just wanted ordinary people singing and dancing. Uh, and it's great, good, huge fun. I would never ever be cast in a product stage production. So at least now I can say I've been in a production. And the way it worked was we had earpieces and a honky tonk piano bashed out the tune and we sang it live on set. So it was, it was really good fun. And I mean, t- tell me this is a, an o- awkward or wrong question to ask, but h- how do film sets work around with like, you know, your mobility and all of that? How does. Absolutely fine. I, I have to sort of top my hat to the BBC in particular, uh, but other production houses are okay. Generally speaking, they accommodate my needs, which are very few. I just the, my actual need is that they know I have mobility issues. That's all it is, uh, and just to make some sort of allowance for me to get to the loo in time and things like that, uh, and. Generally speaking, particularly with Doctor Who, but other things I would have been on, everybody's been fine. Recently, I found there's lots of rumours. It was suggested to me once that, oh, no, they won't have you because you will be more expensive. Mm. Because now health and safety, I have to have a chaperone. And, you know, and I say, um, well, I'm 58, not five. (laughs) 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 I just need to go... And as long as there's reasonable access, yeah, that should be fine. But I, mean, I know with the part that I'm that I'm writing, you know, that I hope to get you to play at some point. That you know, I, I think it would be great to sort of just have you, you know, in your mobility scooter or in your chair, just just there, and you know, not acknowledge it because I think that's important in the media as well. To, to not I am, have yes, it as a character I am, point. Uh, it's interesting because I wasn't born with a, a disability. I became dis- disabled due to circumstances, and uh, what I've discovered is I had it because of my size originally. When it comes to casting, if it just says in the script, maths teacher, nobody would think of me right? unless F-A-T was written in the front, right? <laughs> and then I would be quite high on the list, which is fine. So that was a bit of an irritation. Yeah. Say, do you, I've, I've always wondered with stuff like that. Yeah, like when they have casting and jokes where they have to acknowledge about someone's size or someone's looks like is is that something that you have to become fine with as an actor or i know i'm large and i call myself fat i have no problem with it and what i have problems with is the politically 
correct brigade saying you can't use the word fat anymore. So you have to use euphemisms. But I mean, with the Doctor Who in this in the audition piece, it just said large, large blue man thinks Sydney Green Street. Well, for those who know Casablanca, Sydney Green Street was a very large man because not only was he big, but he was very tall as well. He's about six foot five. So, um, so that, so that's fine. That's absolutely fine. And I've got no problems with that at all. And over the years, I found I get more work than my thin, thin. I better say thin because if I say skinny, they'll get upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I used to joke, particularly with low production, uh, low, um, budget projects. I'd get cast quite a lot. And I used to joke it's because I filled the screen. So they, didn't, so they didn't have to concentrate so much on what was in the background. <laughs> uh, it's all pluses and minuses. I was bullied intensely as a child because of my size. So I object now to the fact that I, I can't call myself a fat person. And I mean, I, I do like the fact that you, I mean, even to talk about, you know, we talked about gratuitous nudity and language and all of that stuff. Like even even in your book, you know, there's only brief moments of bad language, and that is with the context of, you know, the, or you know, the verbal abuse that you were having. I think. Yes. And, I get it. Yes. And I think that worked perfectly because I read it when I was twelve or thirteen. Oh dear. And yeah, I mean, obviously it was a shock, but it it did the effect. You know, it was oh okay, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's... Okay. Yes. Uh, there's less vulgarity in the second book. But, but once again, it's, it's, it's context, isn't it? It's you know, because for, yeah. for a while I was avoiding that because I'm not a person who really uses bad language apart from on the show when I'm quoting lines from the film. Yes. But yeah, it's like when I, when I'm writing stuff, I realized not everyone speaks like me. Yeah. <laughs> I need to acknowledge that this is, is the way honest, the world that works. That is a big difficulty I find. Uh, cause when I'm right, I have lots of experiences. So I've got the ideas. But it's trying to make it interesting on the page and trying to get it to link and have the arc in the story. Because I've got lots of scenarios and I'm thinking, well, how can scenario B fit with scenario F in an arc? So that's my difficulty. So I have no problems with coming up with ideas. Uh, it's it's how to organise the jigsaw. is the, but, but that's the challenge which I thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, and I think what one thing I I like about when I'm making short films, and if I'm like, if almost straight after doing it, I go, oh, I didn't like that, is I always look at each short film as a pitch for a feature. Yes. So like, so you know, I I made a short film called Con Man Denominator, which, in the end, I didn't really like the final version. Well, I liked it when I finished it. About a month later, I went, actually, this is awful. Um, <laughs> which is a shame because I actually got an audio cameo from Carl Pilkington in it, which was incredible yeah. to get, but. As as a project, I didn't go for the angles or some of the writing didn't work so well. And I mean, the plot of that was a, a math te- a con man who poses as a math teacher right. while he's on the run. Okay. Um, all the while, the real math teacher ends up getting beaten and tied up and asked where the money is. Yes. And it's sort of, you know, a, a role swap between the two people and yes. there's going to be a lot of comedy around that. But I had so many ideas almost for a feature... That turning it into a short film, there were just sort of half finished ideas, yeah. which, you know, made it into the script when I, which would have taken a simple proofread, which obviously, you know, I put a lot more effort into now, but 
but like you know i'd write the i'd write the first scene and go okay well this is going to be paid off here and this is all that and so like for example like the students there was gonna be a whole thing about how they sort of struck hard to control and all of that and then i realized i didn't really have time to get into all the different lives of different students and sort that all out so in the, like the the first scene they talk about how they're not very clever and it's hard to you know hard to control them but then it's fine <laughs> it's like <laughs> ooh, yeah but yeah that i can't remember where the original point was for that sorry <laughs> Um, do you know I can't remember? <laughs> let's go. Are we, are, let's we, go are we hopeless? We were talking about writing. Yeah. Oh, you were saying about linking scenarios up, and I, yes. I was saying that yeah. I had a, that I didn't. Yes. That, that was it. I didn't. They didn't all work out. Yeah. But yeah, if, if if anyone's listening who wants to fund a feature-length command denominator, then <laughs> thank you and give email in and guest on the show. Um, uh, Weirdly, that's not the weirdest request I've had for for email in. I think a few weeks ago we had if your mother looks like Andy Warhol email yeah. in. So yeah, this is. Uh... We asked the city of London to be a guest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we did. Yeah, we asked the entirety of London to guest on the show. Oh, that'd be cool. Uh, none of them have got back to us yet. The swines. Yeah. Maybe that's because our first episode only came out yesterday. Oh, right. <laughs> so there's still so there's still time. Yeah. yeah maybe. Who who knows if anyone's going to be listening now in July? <laughs> when this yeah. is out. I will. I'll be our listener. Yeah. Um, right. Um, yeah. So he goes back. Um, smash cut. Oh, you, oh, you, you can read your uh, your descriptions, Robert. I feel like I'm just reading your notes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, yeah. He he just opens the curtain earlier this time, and he's he, more comfortable. As yeah. Well. And he and he knows the shoes are there, so he leans down and picks them up, puts them on the chair, which is already a mess. Yeah. Because their room's a mess. That I mate. like how he comments dangerous. There's, it's just like yeah. the the extra chuckle. Yeah, dangerous. Out of that. And then yeah. it just, yeah, smash cut to them kissing, and he hasn't actually joined her on the bed this time, so he's being much more proactive, even visually. He's still standing for all this. I do like the fact that when he's literally got all the time in the world, he's acting as though he doesn't have much time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's creating that sort of, if they're going to have sex on their first night together... It should be faster or more like that's more passionate, you know, in movie terms, I guess. So then we cut behind her and her top's already off and he unhooks her bra with no trouble. And she's her line is great. Oh, you really know your bras. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, his his I like to think so is is <laughs> once again, like the scene earlier on with Margot Robbie, where, yeah. where she's like, where, where, where he, you know, he's rubbing sun cream onto her back and he's like, ah, it's my area. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the awkward not, it's the awkward trying to sound cool, Tim. Yes. And I mean, I think there are definitely some incredible parallels between this and the Margot Robbie moment, be it the pajamas and all yeah. that stuff. So far, it's the only two moments we've seen him repeat the immediate past, too. Yeah. Have we, have we got any other comments really on this minute? Uh, just right at the end of the minute, I gotta add the valance over the window is yet another pattern of decoration in this crazy room. Yeah. The decoration is bizarre. Yeah. But I, I do think it's wonderful because it, it does so suit Mary as a character. Yeah, she just has what she has. And doesn't care. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, like, it's weird when I actually try and think about wh- whom, Ra- who Rachel McAdams is as Mary, like what her character is like, I can't think of it as tangible. And that's not a problem, but right. I, I can't describe her character. We really just get little than... bits. This is actually interesting in that way, because we don't know a lot about her. 
We never do learn what her job. I oh, know we do learn what her job is, obviously, but we never see her there. And we see it, her doing it from home, actually, don't we? Well, she's going to have. A she's meeting. going to, yeah. And that gets inter- yeah, interrupted. But then Tim's job's not really important for the most part. No, we see although we do see him doing it toward the end. But yeah, yeah it's not important. Yeah, but I, I, once again, I guess that's you know how he's telling the story. I mean, uh, yeah, Simon, like me and me, yeah. Simon, me and Robert have been like looking at this as Tim is because I don't don't think he even narrates at this point, but Tim is narrating the film for the most part. Okay. And so we're sort of looking at him as an unreliable narrator that he's you know he's telling the story as he remembers it rather than yes as it happened. Hence, when we see, um, I can't remember what minutes I what bonus minute I sent you for to, for Friday's episode, so I don't know whether it's one of these ones. But hence, when we see him making his first love interest, Charlotte, who's played by Margot Robbie, right, like. It's only focused on her looks. Like our first introduction to her is from her legs, up. right? And we, she doesn't have much of a personality. So to sort of look at that as that's how naive Tim saw her then, mm-hmm. to now his actual, you know, love interest, he he gives her personality in his brain. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, yeah. He and Mary meet in the dark. Ah, uh, so we get to hear them have a conversation. They can't even see each other. Ah, uh, now that's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> It's definitely a film worth watching if you get the chance. I don't yes. know where no, it is. I, will, I, I did try and find it, but uh, I wasn't able to find it with the facilities I have. But, uh, it was taken off Netflix the week we started recording this show. Well, it's still uh, on Netflix in the US. Really but... uh, that's why I can't find it. Anyway, Simon, where can our listeners find you on social media? Oh, uh, on Facebook and on Twitter and my own web page. Uh, which is fisherbecker, uh, all one word, uh, dot info. Bro. And Robert, where can listeners find you? Uh, social media, Robert E.G. Black. And today I'm going to promote a specific show because Simon's mention of Nina Gold reminded me she did the casting for Annihilation. So my show Annihilation Minute coming out every Thursday. And the listeners can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero, on Instagram at the ginger Luke, on Facebook Luke Allen Film. They can find all podcasts, short films, radio appearances, newspaper articles, anything I'm remotely involved in. It's probably available at lukeallen.co.uk. And this podcast is available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Two Mins About Time. And they can join our Facebook group to discuss all things this podcast and About Time and any other tangents they want to have because, hey-ho, that's the way this show works. In our Facebook group, The Cupboard. <laughs> I still haven't Googled the goodbye thing. Hang on. We'll do... We'll, we'll, we'll cover this. Unless, Robert, you've got an interesting goodbye. Uh, I look some up. Uh, see you, Space Cowboy. That's a good one. We'll leave it there. <laughs> the Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. <laughs> <laughs>